Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12 as we continue to make our way through Luke's gospel. And again, I want to say thank you for those of you who were faithful over the last two weeks while we were gone that you came and just encourage you to continue. And also we praying as we're praying that uh, February 1st or so that Omicron will be done, Omicron and all this other stuff and uh, things will start going back to normal and people will be, feel much more comfortable coming out and attending and being part of the body of Christ. The message today is red light, green light, as we're looking at Luke chapter 12, in the first 12 verses. Let me ask you, how many as children remember the game red light, green light? You remember that? Uh, one, 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 a group of people would, would stand on one side and there would be uh, another player on the one side and they would yell out red light. And if it was red light, you had to stop running. Uh, if you said green light, it meant go, obviously. And then yellow light, they had to be cautious. They had to walk or run slowly. And the one when you said red light and they didn't stop, they are out of game. Fun game. We still play it. Uh, my Lando and them love to play it. To be honest, I still like playing that type of game teens do. It's just kind of a way in which we kind of just have fun together. But I want to take that and we're going to look at run red light, green light today as Jesus is speaking and instructing his disciples. As a matter of review, it's been three weeks since we've been together in Luke. Uh, We come to chapter 12 with Jesus making his final journey to Jerusalem. His divine appointment at the cross is at hand. The redemption plan of the Trinity is progressing right on schedule. And Jesus is using these last days, teaching and instructing his disciples of what it means to follow him. Now, three weeks ago, we closed the 11th chapter of Luke, where he, did, where he depicts uh, Jesus proclaiming six woes on the religious leaders during a dinner party. Woes are curses that warn against a catastrophe if one continues in their behavior and attitude. And Jesus used this occasion as a teaching moment. He is warning the religious leaders that they are woefully off track and they will one day face judgment and condemnation in the last day if they do not repent. In response to this proclamation, this warning, the religious leaders, instead of repenting though, seek to do him harm. In Luke chapter 11, those last two verses, 53 and 54 of that chapter, you'll see here on the monitor, We see that the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things. Why? Is it because they wanted to learn more? They were interested? They wanted to gain from his wisdom? No, they were lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. They were looking to entrap him. Some reason to accuse him with. It is with this context and this background, this this persecution that they're looking to harm Jesus that we approach chapter 12 and we now consider what Luke is about to share with us through the teaching of Jesus. Knowing that the religious leaders are seeking any excuse to trap him, Jesus continues to address his disciples by stating that they must choose a side 
and that the discipleship, that, that the follow Christ comes at a very high cost. Today we're considering the teachings of Jesus as a yellow light, green light, red light, as he both cautions, warns, and encourages his people. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And I pray now that as we just do the duty of, and the responsibility, but yet the privilege of opening your word, to read it, to uh, observe what it has to say, to interpret what it means, and then to apply it to our lives. Lord, that you give us wisdom, discernment. Lord, keep us free from distraction. Lord, may we just look at it honestly with authenticity of our hearts, a desire to serve you, and that we may respond to your Holy Spirit's work. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, <laughs> with that, I'm at the end of my cough, so every once in a while I may do it. I apologize if I do it right into the microphone. I, I intend not to, but every once in a while it comes uh, unbidden. Uh, so we're going to look at three passages. So look at the first passage, verses 1 through 3. That's the yellow light. That's, that's the caution that we see here. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, this event seems to happen immediately after the dinner. It's one after another with the, uh, the dinner party with the religious leaders. Luke writes that Jesus' popularity is growing so much that his group of people following him is, is much larger than even of the religious leaders. Luke describes the crowd as many thousands. This is, by the way, this phrase is where you and I get the word myriad, many of thousands of thousands. It's meaning an uncountable number of people. And they were all jostling for a position to get closer to Jesus that they were disregarding each other. So this is like a chaotic moment that is happening. You can just imagine as Jesus is teaching, he's coming out of the house and an unnumberable group of people are joshing for position. The bodies, you know, the voices, all calling out for Jesus. The, the smell of the people and just, I mean, I'm sure it was a very intense situation. They are clamoring to get close to Jesus in order to hear him speak and witness some type of miracle or even to cry out, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. They, they want a piece of Jesus. However, instead of turning his attention to this crowd, you can, you can imagine this would be the time where he says, settle down, right? Someone's going to get hurt. And we've seen this just happen in concerts over the years where people, thousands of people are just clamoring to get closer and people get stampede. But instead of quieting the crowd, Luke writes that Jesus turns to his disciples first. Now, when we get to verse 54, Jesus will turn his attention to, uh, to, the, to the crowd. But right now, as this crowd is happening, the religious leaders are looking for a way to entrap Jesus. Jesus takes the time to turn to his disciples and address them. He warns and cautions the disciples about adopting the practices and teachings of the religious leaders by stating, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now let me give you a few definitions of these words. I know you're, you're familiar with them. 
Beware just means simply to watch out, to be on guard. That's the yellow light. That's the caution. To beware, to pay attention, to devote or to apply oneself to what I'm about to say or the situation. Leaven is a, is a word that refers metaphorically of the leaven of the mind, of what's in the mind and your conduct. It's a system of doctrine or morals, and it's used in this sense as a negative, as a bad sense. They're religious influence. He's saying beware of the leaven, or maybe even of the fruit. In this case, it's a leaven. Leaven is kind of like yeast that would grow. He says you need to beware, caution, yellow light, beware of what is in their mind and of their teaching. Their influence, as we see, is one that contaminates the people rather than building them up. Then, of course, the word hypocrisy, <coughs> you and I know this word, but it's Greek word, the hypocrisy, it actually means an actor. It's a person who plays a part. In other words, he's saying, do not be someone who plays a part. And that's, of course, always our caution to the people in our church that comes from Scripture. Do not be one who is a hypocrite, hypocrite one who is an actor who's only playing a part. Jesus says that he will warn those, he will condemn those, that all they're doing is playing a part and they're truly not disciples of Christ. In essence, (coughs) Jesus is warning his disciples that the result of listening and following the Pharisees is hypocrisy, implying arrogance and a hardness of a heart, utterly devoid of sincerity and genuineness. And though these religious leaders may hold influence and authority, Among the people, in reality, they are in error. You might recall from our message three weeks ago that Jesus likened them to unmasked graves where people walk over them without even knowing it. This meant that instead of pointing others to life, they were in effect contaminating influence that were leading people to spiritual death. Jesus then goes on to caution his disciples that there's nothing hidden from God. Now, this is a a scary passage. It's a frightening passage when you really read it and consider it. In other words, there is nothing hidden from God. He sees and hears all that transpires in our life. Even our most intimate thoughts are exposed as God knows our hearts. He knows what we try to delete from our browser. He knows what we watch on movies and TVs, what we read, what we think in those most secret, intimate moments that we even hide from our spouse and others. And many times we try to forget ourselves. It's a scary thought as we consider our own lives and our own thought processes and the sin that you and I hide. Every thought, every deed, every motive, every decision that we believe that is hidden and secret says that one day it will be revealed. There are no secrets with God. (coughs) excuse me, scripture tells us that, O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the hearts and the mind. In Proverbs, "Every every way of a man is right is on eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart, even the good that we do. God sees the very motives that lead us to do these good works. Jesus cautions his disciples to live their lives with the knowledge, and I'm giving you three big words as well, is that all things will be revealed. That's the first one. All things will be revealed. All things will be made manifest, to be made known, exposed by the light. 
This is why the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 and 10. You see it here on the monitor. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? Please him. Speaking of God, speaking of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Not those things that we have just done in front of others, but even those things we've done when we believe that we are in secret, that we are hidden. And to the church of Ephesus, he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. And with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You and I need to live our lives in understanding that there is a yellow light that is flashing in through scripture. Beware, do not be a hypocrite. All things will be made known. Your mask will be taken off and your true self revealed. Yellow light, be cautioned. Let's move to the second passage, chapter 4 through 7. Here we see a red light. This means stop. And in there, the, the, not the main word, but we're going to look at it, this word fear. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more than they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. <coughs> yes, I tell you, fear him. <clears throat> Why not even, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God or before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valued than many sparrows. Two things are happening there that seem to be confusing, but they're actually working together <coughs> there. As Jesus now directs their attention to the truth of holy, of who, not holy, but who to truly fear. Most people tend to be people pleasers, are we not? We're afraid to take a stand for what is right due to the fear of others. That's very true today. We live in such an age, that's the spirit, where most conversations, debate, discussions are stopped before they can even begin. The spirit of the age is to cancel any and all who do not agree with, your, with someone's agenda, their, ide their ideas and their philosophy. We are seeing this in regard to COVID restrictions and mandates, LGBTQ++++ issues, traditional marriage, transgender issues, pronouns, what pronouns should I use, politics, so on and so forth. We have canceled and, and we've told everyone that this, you, the discussion cannot even be started. And so we have a fear. Even the churches of America are struggling with this. They have a, a fear of politics. They have a fear of culture. They have a fear of others. And as Christians, we have fear of, of, our, of our family. However, Jesus warns us not to fear men. Even if they can do bodily damage to us. Instead, he warns them to fear him whom after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. And let me share with you real quickly. You've heard me speak on this in Matthew and Mark. So you know what I'm going to say. Many would think that's Satan. But Satan has no authority and power to cast into hell or to release from hell. What he's saying here is that you and I are to fear God. 
when you and I think of why do we need a savior? Why do we need someone to rescue us? We need someone to rescue us and save us from the very wrath of God. Not from Satan, not just from hell, not from from death, but we need to be saved from the wrath of God. That's what scripture tells us. We are to fear God. He is the one who has authority to cast into hell or to save. Two observations need to be made here real quickly. Hell is real. We'll look at this later in the book of Luke. It's a place of constant punishment and judgment. So we must recognize that we must stop. Hell is real. Number two, God is greater and more powerful than Satan and demons and anyone else. Thank you. There is none more powerful than God. And so you and I, as we live our life, we need to stop and fear the one that we will stand before. Not only can he reveal, but he has the power to judge. It's important for us to understand that we're to fear God. In Proverbs chapter 9, 10 through 11, King Solomon says, You see it here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. Must recognize who God is. Only the fool does not fear God. King David writes in Psalms 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible says those who do such are corrupt. They do abominable deeds and there is none who does good. Again, a fool is not speaking of an intelligence of someone who who does not understand or will not learn or, or cannot learn. But a fool is one who lives their life as if they will never stand before a holy God and give account of their life. That's why he says, beware and to fear. For I believe that many times there are many Christians who are living their lives foolishly. As if one day they will not stand before God. As long as they can hide their lies behind some type of hypocritical mask and nobody else finds out, then they are good. I got away with it. There is no such thing in the economy of God. We are not to fear the fool, but gain wisdom by fearing God. Jesus is teaching this wonderful truth, knowing that very soon his disciples will be facing the same persecution that he's about to face. The religious and political leaders will not be satisfied with just the crucifixion and death of Jesus. They will soon, as you look at the book of Acts, as we're reading that now in our Bible reading, again, I want to encourage you to grab one of the the Bible readings in the back. We just started the letter of Acts. We're going to see that the political leaders are not justified with just the crucifixion and death of Jesus. They will soon seek out his disciples and the followers of Christ in order to silence them, to persecute them and execute them for their beliefs. So Jesus is doing this red, yellow, green light in order to prepare them in that face of persecution. However, even though that we, you and I, are called to fear God, Jesus, in that passage, also calls them to trust God. Now that seems odd. Fear God and trust Him. Let's remember that those two come together. We don't fear God and not trust Him but we fear and trust him in the same breath. To illustrate this point, 
Jesus refers to sparrows who, though many people, especially in that time, would consider insignificant, are still reminded or remembered by the Creator. Uh, theologian Mike Leake, Leake writes of this. He says, five sparrows and two pennies. That's not very valuable. Sparrows weren't very valuable to humans, especially in the first century. They bought them, they ate them, and they sacrificed them. Sparrows were the simplest things that those people who were poor could use to worship in the sacrifice. Five sparrows, two pennies, he goes on. Bought, crushed, grounded into stool, discarded, their life snuffed out just like that. But not forgotten by God. If God remembered the sparrow, the one that was insignificant, bought for two pennies, then crushed for stew, crushed and sacrificed at the, at the altar. If his eyes were on the sparrow, would they not be bought and sold like this, someone would say? I don't want to be remembered by God like that. But fear him and trust him. It's not a comforting thought at first. Is this how the God the Father looks after me? Does he think I'm insignificant as well? Does he think that my abilities and talents aren't enough and, and, he, and I would be just fodder for the first type of persecution? Am I low-hanging fruit easy to be abused by others? Well, Jesus is teaching them, not that they're insignificant, but that though they may face persecution and death from the enemies of God, that they can still Trust God. Walter Leafield writes that Jesus does not guarantee protection from death. <coughs> we need to understand this. But he affirms that God alone controls the final destiny of men. And people should fear him rather than those who can merely inflict physical death. Hence why many of us would say during the height of COVID is that we should still be involved in worshiping and serving our Savior and our Lord. That we should be involved in still meeting as a church because we do not fear that which can kill the body. But we fear him who will one day judge each and every moment of our lives. Not that we don't take the appropriate cautions in all things. However, the highest uh, law in our hearts is not a medical doctor or some decree by some magistrate, but the word of God. But also God is intimately aware of all that befalls us. In other words, yes, sparrows were insignificant, but they served an important purpose in God and God remembered them. Even our hair is insignificant. As he says, he remembers the hairs of our head. He says, these things may seem insignificant, but I remember you. Fear and trust. John MacArthur notes that divine providence governs even the most inconsequential details of God's creation. There is nothing that happens in your life that is not from the hand of God. He cares for all that he created, regardless of how significant. One of my favorite singers, Steve Green, says, Though my foe may slay me, I will serve the Lord. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It demands an uncompromising commitment to follow Jesus. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that in the economy of God, that here we are, here's the second word, that we are of value. 
One day all things will be revealed, but that you and I are valued by God. Even in the fear of God, he says that you are valued. We must remember that Jesus himself will be like the sparrow in which he'll be crushed and broken. While the Father watches, Jesus is the basis on which we are protected, comforted, and provided for. For just as God determined that Jesus would be crushed, he also determined that he would rise from the dead and be brought up into the throne room of God. In the same way that God looks at Christ, he looks at you and I. The third passage as we come to the end of the eight is verses 8 through 12. This is the green light. This is to go in confidence and insurance. Look at verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So we see the, 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 the yellow light was caution, beware. All things will be revealed. Do not be uh, like the Pharisees. Uh, the next one was the red light. Stop, fear God, fear him and only trust him. But now we have the green light. We are to go. We are to be assured. Persecution is coming. The disciples will not be able to flee from it or hide from it or talk their way out of it. In verse 11, Jesus says, when, not if, when you are persecuted. When the time comes, Jesus wants his disciples to have confidence and assurance so that they may go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I am with you, he says, until the end of the age. He wants them to know that in the face of persecution, you have a commission. That commission is for you and I today. Jesus encourages his disciples with the promise that all who acknowledge God before men will be acknowledged by God. The warning is that whoever denies God in the midst of persecution will find themselves denied at the judgment day. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 21-23. I believe it should be here on the, on, the, on the board. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? Then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. We must stand boldly before God. It's just not about doing good works. It's just not doing religious and rituals and traditions. It's about in our hearts. Does our lives show that we accept Christ? He then encourages them that even if they fail as we all will. There is forgiveness for all sins, past, present, and future. The only sin that we see in Scripture that is not forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The New American Commentary notes that blasphemy is not limited to the speaking of evil of the Holy Spirit, 
but it can also mean a hardened attitude towards God and an unrelenting opposition to what is, he is doing through his spirit in leading individuals in faith. That is the sin of the Pharisees. For those of you who might fear that you're guilty of this sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Aaron Armstrong has some words of encouragement for you. He writes, as you see here in the monitor, a Christian cannot become, uh, cannot, um, cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit because to blaspheme the Spirit is to continually and stubbornly reject his work and testimony concerning the identity of Jesus. It is the unrepentant refusal to be justified by the blood of Christ. That is not the heart of a Christian. To deny the work and testimony of the Holy Spirit is to blaspheme him. Those who persistently and unrepentantly resist the Spirit and salvation through faith in Christ will not, cannot be saved. So you and I are to go and to be encouraged that God will accept us. With an understanding of these promises and trusting in God's providence, you and I are not to be anxious about our defense or how we should respond in times of trials, but rely on the Holy Spirit who empowers each believer. Jesus promises for the Holy Spirit will teach you that in that very hour, what you ought to say. That's where many of us sometimes struggle, even with our evangelism. I don't know how to evangelize. I don't know what to say. I'll get calls. I just got the news that someone in my family or someone that I know has just come out, you know, as LGBT, or they're, they're, forced, they're, they're struggling with same-sex attraction, or they're struggling with transgenderism. We get those all the time. Even in my own family, we're having it. What do I say? What, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to address this? And that, in a way, is a mild form of persecution, for them to reject that loved one or that friend or that coworker can bring much suffering and harm to that family, to that person, as well as to yourself. And so many churches, many Christians then bow down and say, well, then I guess it's okay. It's better to say it's all right than to continue to fight. However, Scripture tells us that he will give us the words to say. That's why I say that we need to drown ourselves, marinate our bones with the scriptures, our mind. In Hebrews chapter 12, we encourage to follow the examples of those heroes of faith. When the writer writes, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We spoke of this several weeks ago. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. You see, those things, those obstacles, those persecution, that suffering, that's the race that's set before you. We live in such a time, not by accident, but by God's providence, who endured the cross, despite, or I'm sorry, in looking to Jesus, we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand throne of God. We will face persecution and suffering. It may look different. It may not be at a burning, uh, burning uh, pyre. It may not be at the cross. It may not be at a guillotine. It may not be in a lion's den. But we will face persecution, some mild. I think we're seeing mild persecution today. 
In some places, it's getting larger. I think it was Landon that shared with us what's going in California. Uh, I'm not sorry, uh, Canada. And by the way, there's another state here in the United States that is also doing the same thing. I can't remember what state it was. Do you remember? Did... Okay, yeah, one of the states are doing the same thing. Uh, connect. In other words, they're taking out all pastoral counseling and counseling of the Bible, biblical counseling. Uh, one of the, another nation was just looking at uh, one of their uh, politicians was actually um, not arrested but being charged with um, uh, a hate crime because she read the Bible at the politician's thing at, at, during the parliament. <clears throat> Thinking about giving us the words to say, I want to look back, share a few moments of famous last words of those that were martyred for Christ. You might recall the newly elected deacon Stephen in Jerusalem in the, in the book of Acts chapter 7. He's the first deacon, he's the first martyr. And they listened to him preach and instead of responding in repentance, they, they grabbed a group of people and they began to stone him. Stephen said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He finished his Lord, do not charge this sin to them. Polycarp, uh, Polycarp, excuse me, of, of Smyrna. He says, 86 years I have served him. By the way, he's on a pyre. They're ready to light him on flame, uh, light him uh, uh, on fire. He says, 86 years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then should I blaspheme my king who has saved me? By the way, as he was saying this, the fire would not start. Eventually, they had to kill him and burn him afterwards. Or how about Thomas Craner? You may not know of him, but he was one of the first reformers in England. In 1553, he was taken to the Tower of London under the charge of treason. He was tried and convicted, but instead of being executed, he was sent to prison to be put on trial for heresy with two other bishops that we'll see here in a moment. He could not be executed because he was an archbishop, but eventually they took that title away, so now they could burn him. In fear, he recanted. And so they began to let him go. However, praise God, he was convicted of his recantation and recanted his recantation. Because of that, they put him in again on a pyre and put him on flames. And in it, he took his right hand, the hand that he wrote his recantation, and he put that in the fire first and said, let this hand burn first. Who denied God? He declared that his hand would burn first since it had written the recantations. At last, he promised as he plunged his right hand into the heart of the flames, he called it an unworthy hand. And his last words were this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God gave him a chance to recant. And even though he failed at that moment, God gave him the strength to endure the last of his execution. With him was Hugh Latmere and Nicholas Riley. I think I had Ridley. I have this little cartoon up here. He says, be of good cheer, Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I will trust that will never be put out. Could you imagine that? 
likening yourself being set on flame as a candle. Why? Because the God's word, the gospel will go forth. See, Jesus is promising the disciples that they will be accepted by God for their faith. Dustin Benj tweeted this, Believers don't depend on luck or chance or fate or fortune. We trust a God who has planned all things for our good and his glory. So with that, you and I should trust, rejoice, and obey. In today's passage, we learn three things. And then I'm going to close here with some interpretation and application. In today's passage, we learn that God will reveal all things at the day of judgment. That God values his children even in the midst of persecution. You may think that God does not think of you, but let me tell you, God thinks of you. How great are your thoughts towards me, David sings. You may think that your life is insignificant. That what you bring to the table, to the church, to others, is lesser than others. But you are valued by the Almighty God. And number three, God accepts his children who follow in faith. That's the trust. Yellow light, red light, green light. We need to go in assurance, knowing that God accepts us in the end. I want to end with this. It's not long. But you and I need to understand that persecution is coming. It is here and it will increase. So how do you and I face or prepare for that day of persecution? Well, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to the letter of Philippians. I've enjoyed this book. I've been reading the men who have joined me. We've been reading chapters 1 and 2 through the month of uh, January. I encourage you to join with us in chapters 2 through 3 through the, through the uh, month of February as well. But as we open up to the letter of, to the Philippians, the church of Philippi, Paul is in prison. He's not sure if he's going to get out or not. He's facing death. But the, 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 the theme of Philippians, and Dustin took us through this, I think, two or three years ago. And he done a wonderful job, so I'm not going to re-preach any of those. But it's a book of joy in the midst of suffering. In there, there are some things I believe that you and I need to understand as we face, as we prepare for the persecution to come. First, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. You and I must keep each other in prayer. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You and I need to pray for each other. Now, for me, uh, as your pastor, here's what I do. I, I have all of your names listed on a piece of paper. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, and I, and I just break it up. And, and so every week, I am praying for you. And my prayer is that you're praying for me as your pastor. I need it. But I also would encourage you to take that Christmas list I gave you and do the same thing. Pray for one another. Recognizing that we are in it together. Number two, we must be assured that God will preserve and glorify his children. Look at verses six of chapter one. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ. 
Let me tell you that God is continuing to work in you. Some of you are much further along in your Christian faith than someone else. Some of you might be less, but let me tell you, no matter where God takes you, God will finish that work. That glorification, that sanctification process will be done. And suffering is part of that. Persecution is part of that. Struggles is part of that. But he who began a good work will complete it. Thirdly, we need to recognize, and this is important, that you need to recognize that we are partners in the gospel. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Oh, if our church would see that we are partners together. Maybe that would encourage others to be here. When times are difficult when or when it's not convenient to be in church. That we would see more in our Sunday school and more in our small group. That when we do more outreaches, that we'd all see ourselves as partakers in the ministry of Christ. Not only that, as Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says that when one part of the body suffers, so does the other. You and I need to understand that as Paul is in prison, he says, you also are in prison. You are praying for me. You understand that. You can encourage me by praying for me. By sending me Aphroditus and sending me others and then receiving who I, Timothy as I send him to you. Is you and I need to pray and encourage one another. Remembering that no family here that suffers should suffer alone. Any person here that feels that they are alone should not feel that. That we gather together and I think so thankful that when you do that, you do that so well. Fourthly, Our suffering advances the gospel. Look at verses 12 and 13 of the first chapter of Philippians. Again, we're just going to stay in 1 Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment for Christ. In other words, your persecution, your suffering advances the gospel of Christ. Now you may be undergoing some persecution or some suffering. It says, I don't know how this does that because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. But let me share with you, it advances the gospel of Christ for his glory and for our good. Though you and I may not know it, God will show it to us in the end. Fifthly, our suffering honors God. In verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And he's torn between dying and going to heaven or staying here on earth and continuing to minister. Paul doesn't know which one is is the best one to do, but he's ready to do either one. And you... (laughs) And you and I need to come to that same mindset is that our suffering suffering honors God as we respond to it different than the world. As they look and see the hope that is within us. And lastly, in summary, we need to remember the encouragement that's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27. Would you look at that scripture with me? Again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Red light, yellow light, green light. 
Let us beware. Let's be cautioned about hypocrisy in our life. Let us fear and trust Christ for he is the true almighty one. And let us go in confidence and assurance, green light, knowing that he accepts us. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Let me tell you, that's the desires here of the elders. Is that whether we are here or away, that we hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not that you're of Rob or of Landon or Randy or someone else, but that you're standing firm in the gospel of Christ. That's our hope. That's our prayer. He goes on to say, And not be frightened in anything by your opponents, for this is a clear sign of them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now I hear that I still have. Christ was persecuted, disciples, the saints throughout history, and we ourselves. It may be of a different tenor, of a different way, but we all will face suffering in life. And may we face it in the way that Christ has called us to. And let us give thanks to our God who is faithful, good, and merciful to his children. And may we commit to a lifelong pursuit of seeking after the kingdom of God. May we stand strong in the face of persecution. Prepare, for it is here and is coming. Very head bowed, never head closed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, as well as Landon, for our pastor's prayer. And again, let's just take a moment to pause and to consider the words of Christ. <clears throat> and may we find ourselves preparing our hearts for that day when we'll stand before him, when all things will be revealed, recognizing that we are valued by God and we are accepted by him. Let's go with that assurance. Would you lift up a prayer and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in your life? We pray this, that God may be glorified. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.